as most of you are aware, and I say most because I don't want to assume anything, uh, another year came to a conclusion this past week. And uh, I found myself either watching television specials or reading newspapers or magazine accounts of, quote, yet another year in review. And uh, as is so often the case, uh, one tragedy after another was either highlighted or probably better yet low-lighted. And uh, some of those things were the recent uh, Mexican massacre that took place not too long ago, the massacre in Algeria where 450 people were found, their remains in a a mass grave in that particular area of the world, Uh, the execution of Mexican doctors who had the unfortunate task of trying to save the life of a Mexican drug lord, they did not succeed and it cost them their life. As you go through and you continue to hear of the things that had taken place, a hit and run of a young man who was walking to school and uh, was hit by a a hit and run driver and killed as he crossed the street, the continuing Oklahoma City trial, the bombing trial that continues to go on, uh, the unsolved, as of this point, John Benet Ramsey murder, and and all the the rest of the countless other crimes that have taken place, the the rapes and the murders and the thefts and the embezzlements and all the things that take place. And, you know, as I watched or read such stories of violence and cruelty that uh, human beings can inflict upon one another, something within me wanted to, to believe that sometime, somewhere along the line, that justice will be served. You know what I mean? It's like you, you, would, you just hope and you pray that people don't get away with such things. And you want to see justice served. And, and that crime doesn't pay. And that you don't get away with things like that. And those who commit such atrocities against his fellow man will one day have to give an account for that. I want to believe that. And, uh, but the question, I guess, is, is that a truth that we can rely upon? Is it something that's taught in the Bible? You know, what's God's take on all of that? Do we want to believe it because thinking anything to the contrary would be unfathomable? To think that we could live in a world where crime really does pay? That people can really get away with it? That they won't have to give an account for their actions? I mean, is it wishful thinking or is it truth that we can rely upon? And it's interesting because I think that all of us have a a misunderstanding of the whole idea or concept of justice. And uh, fortunately for us, that, those are the questions that are going to be answered in the, the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Christians who were living in Thessalonica. You know, these folks were very appreciative of the first letter that Paul had written to them, but the problem was that letter did not immediately solve all their problems. In fact, the persecution, their persecution for putting their faith in Jesus Christ did not go away, but it increased. And in fact, it was so, so severe that they believed that they were actually living. If you were with us in our study of that first letter, you remember that the Apostle Paul shared with them and with us the fact that there is a great day of tribulation that is to come upon this earth. And their persecution was so severe that they believed they were actually living in that great day. And to even complicate matters worse, they had received a letter that was supposed to be from Paul stating that it indeed was the great day of tribulation, or as the Bible says, the great day of the Lord, or the Lord's wrath. And they were confused by all of that. 
because they weren't sure what the timing of and the timetable because Paul had taught them that Jesus Christ himself would come back to the earth or come back for his church and take his people with him. And that after that event, this great day of tribulation and wrath would take place. And yet they were living in this severe persecution and they were confused as to whether or not that was true or not. And they were fearful because of it. And if that wasn't enough, other believers were concluding that, hey, you know what, Jesus is coming back at any minute, so why are we going to work every day? Let's just go hang out and wait for him. Let's take our money out of our IRAs and our 401ks and let's go have a good time. Because after all, they reason that you can't take it with you, so you might as well, who needs to put up with work and everything that goes along with that? Let's just go get our money and let's go have a good time. Well, while they had that attitude, the rest of the people were going, well, wait a minute, if you're not going to work, then we are working, not only take care of ourselves, but now we got to take care of you. And they were getting disgusted with all of it, and they were having some very serious problems. And so this letter that we're about to study was written in response to all of these problems that had been generated, and it had occurred not even a year removed from the first writing that he had sent to them. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to take a look at this letter as it addresses those many issues. And he began with their most pressing need, which of course at this particular moment in time was the persecution that they were experiencing. And uh, because of, of their faith in Jesus Christ, they were going through some difficult times. And throughout this, the, the question remains, hey, you know what, is there such a, a, a teaching as payday one day. And you know, the other thing I'm going to work on in 98 is centering that for you. That's a worthwhile goal. What do you think? But anyway, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. In this first chapter, he deals with this pressing need of the persecution that they're going through and shares with them three encouragements that will not only comfort them, but as you'll see, will be a great comfort to us as well. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we read these words. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. It says, Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of of all of your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are now suffering. It says, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. It says, to this end also we pray for you always that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power in order that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
In this particular section, we're going to notice that there's three encouragements that they are given to help them get through this difficult time that they're going through. Three encouragements that will be of a great help to us. After his greeting that we see there in the first verse, he says, Paul and Timothy and, and Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What's interesting about the introductions is something that I want to point out is that you will always find as you go through your Bible that every introduction that we have is always worded this way and in this order. Grace to you and then peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that God's grace to us always precedes his peace that we will have with him. The bottom line is this. It says, for it's by grace we're saved through faith, not of ourselves." That God extends to us his grace, his mercy. He offers us his forgiveness. His grace comes first. And when we receive that grace or that gift of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, the Bible says for as many as received him to become right to become children of God, those who believe in his name. When we, are, when we receive the grace of God, peace always follow, follows. We have peace with God. How? Through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have peace within ourselves because now we're at peace with God. And we also have peace towards one another because our relationship with God has been reestablished. We have peace that comes from God, a peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We have peace with God. We are now at peace with God. We're no longer enemies of God. We're no longer at enmity with God. We have peace with God. We have peace in our own hearts. And then, therefore, we can extend peace to others because we've experienced the forgiveness and the love of God. That's the way it is, and that's the only way it is. And that's the way we see it introduced every time we see one of God's letters that are written to his people. But what's interesting as we see this is what Paul wants, what he wants to stress here is that there is an encouragement of praise that we find as we go through this. There's an encouragement of praise. And that we need to recognize and understand that this encouragement of praise is important and we need to take a look at this. You know, as we look through his letter, we see that it is the will of God. If you've got your Bibles open, you'll notice in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, if you recall the last commandments we were given, it is God's will that in everything we give thanks. Paul, throughout these letters that he wrote, it's very obvious as we go through this that he continued to give thanks. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, we read, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. In, second, in the second chapter, verse 13 of the first letter, he says, And for this reason we also constantly thank God, that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, and that's the word of God. We give thanks to God because of that. In verse 9 of chapter 3, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which you rejoice before our God on your account? He continues to mention that he gives thanks and he gives praise. In the second letter that we read here in verse 3, we see the same thing. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren. And he goes on again in the second chapter, verse 13, he says the same thing. But we should always give thanks to God. Let me just share something with you that will be life-changing if you listen and if you apply it to your daily life. Not only does prayer change lives, but so does praise. Praise changes lives. Praise changes lives. Do you realize that a common device of Satan in our life as believers is to use persecution and suffering to cause us to doubt the faithfulness of God, 
to cause us to curse God or blame God rather than to praise God. As you go through the Bible, it's very every situation that I find, persecution and suffering can be used to do one of two things. Either to blame God for what we're going through or to praise God that He is faithful in the midst of even that circumstance. Give you an example. If you've got your Bibles, turn back to the book of Job for a second very quickly and we'll see exactly what we're talking about. In Job chapter 1, we read about all the tribulations and persecutions that God allowed him to go through. Not only him and losing his, his children and losing his business and losing all his material things and ultimately even losing his health, but what we find common throughout all these circumstances, when we want to experience victory in the midst of tribulation, there's one thing that's common in every circumstance that you'll find. And you know what that is? Look and see what Job does and how he responds. In Job chapter 1, look at verse 21. Verse 20 says, Then Job arose and tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and he worshipped God. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord has given and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he ever blame God. He worshipped God. Do you want to, let, me, let me just ask you a, a very serious question. Because suffering and persecution and difficulties can make us miserable. It can cause us to be discouraged. It can sap all the joy of our life, all the joy that we have for living out of our life. If you want to live victoriously and live above that, and have the joy that God wants you to have in your daily walk with God. If you want to experience that, let me, do you want to experience, let me ask you that. Raise your hand. Do you want to experience that? Or do you want to walk around mumbling and moaning the rest of your life while you're here? If you want to experience the joy of God and you want to experience uh, victory over discouragement and depression, then let me tell you to try one thing. Know what that is? Praise God. Praise God. In the midst of every circumstance, praise God. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop blaming God for what's going on in your life. And realize that God is in control and He allows those things to happen for His glory and for His purposes in our life. And praise God. A common theme throughout the Bible of people who are being persecuted that live above their persecution is praise. Do you realize that when Peter and Silas were in prison in Acts chapter 16, they were falsely imprisoned for doing what God had called them to do, which was simply tell other people that God loves them and that they could have a relationship with God by believing in Jesus Christ. They could have peace with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's all that they were doing. They were thrown in prison for doing that. And do you know what they did while they were there? They didn't sit around feeling sorry for themselves. It says they prayed and sang hymns of praise to God that they would be considered worthy enough to suffer for His name's sake. They continued to praise God. Now, I'm going to ask you something. How many times when you're going through difficult times do you find yourself praising God? The word, bless the Lord, O my soul, or in all these things, Job blessed the name of God. The word blessed means basically to speak well of God. He had nothing bad to say about God. Hey, God gave him everything that he had, and if God wanted to take it all away, that was his privilege to do it, because God was his boss and in control of his life. And if God gave it to me, hey, praise the name of the Lord. He given it to me, he takes it away, praise him too. Because I came in with nothing, he gave me what I have. I'm going out with nothing, he took it away, it doesn't really matter, because i got a relationship with God, praise him, and there's nothing that's going to happen that's going to separate my love from him. Praise God. 
That's a common thread throughout Scripture of people who lived above discouragement and defeat. So the next time things go wrong and you're tempted to uh, maybe get a little impatient, uh, what I would suggest you do is, hey, why don't you turn to God and praise Him for who He is. Praise the Lord. And don't do it as some religious habit, as some people do, but do it from your heart. I love the story that I heard about a pastor that had just taken a job at a country parish, and uh, he was there, and, and the only way you can really get around and really identify with the people is to ride a horse. So he bought this horse, and uh, when he bought the horse, the guy that sold him the horse said, hey, look, I just got to explain something to you, because this horse grew up kind of and was raised in a religious environment in this small community. And the pastor said, okay, well, I mean, what, what does that mean? He says, well, if you get on this horse and you say giddy up, it ain't going nowhere. The only way this horse goes anywhere is if you say praise the Lord. And when you want this horse to stop and you say, whoa, it ain't stopping. Only way you can get any preacher to stop is you got to say amen. And so you say amen. So he goes, oh, this is great. So he got on the horse and he said giddy up and the horse just sat there and he goes, oh, that's right. He says, hey, praise the Lord. And this horse started trotting. Sound effects, new in 98. Um, so... He started to go. And, uh, and as he was going a couple of miles, this was great. And all of a sudden, this rabbit runs out in front of this horse. And this horse takes off and it starts running across this open field. And the further this horse goes, the faster it's going, the more panicky this pastor got. And there was a big old cliff coming up with the river 200 feet below. And this horse goes right up to the edge. And the pastor going, whoa, whoa, stop, 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 And then at the last minute he remembered, he said, hey, amen. That horse stopped just like that. Within inches of going over that 200 foot drop. And that pastor went, whew, man, praise the Lord. And that's new in 98 too. You got it. That's good. Amen. I'm not stopping. No, seriously though, you know, stop thinking about it. Some of us, we do things mindlessly. And what I want to suggest that we do on a serious note is that we become people who praise God from our heart and praise one another. You notice what Paul did? He praised them. And we need to do that. You know, it's really sad. I was reading through People Magazine as I was waiting in the lobby this past week, and People Magazine had a, um, the most interesting or intriguing people of this past year. And Oprah Winfrey was one of the people that they highlighted. But what was really tragic was something that she said, and she said this. She said, I was never told as I was growing up that I was loved. I was never told that I did a good job. And I thought, isn't that tragic? I was never told I was loved, and I was never told that I did a good job. I was never told that it was good enough. Let me ask you this question. How many perfectionists are in the audience today? Raise your hand. See, very, not very many. And I didn't really expect to find very many. Because the next question, I think, is more appropriate. How many of you are sitting next to a perfectionist who you think should have raised their hand? <laughs> See, because the problem with perfectionists are they never really recognize that's who they are. Because most perfectionists always are, I'm not a perfectionist, I just like things done right. <laughs> and, and, and when it comes to, well, what's the right way? Well, the right way is my way. Okay, well, maybe you could be considered a perfectionist. Now, I don't mean to sing one out because, you know, it's, it's way, you know, way beyond me to ever want to call any of you out 
and, and single you out and, and make you feel, you know, convicted about what should change in your life. Um, I would never do that. Uh, but uh, I want you to consider something because what I'm about to, to spoon out to you is uh, going to be a little difficult medicine to swallow, but I want you to consider it. You know, hold your nose, close your eyes, because here it comes. Um, praise will release you from the chains of perfectionism. Praise will release you from the chains of perfectionism. And I want you to notice Paul's encouragement of praise to those who no doubt, and I have no doubt about this, to those who no doubt did not consider themselves very spiritual as they suffered. Some of them probably felt guilty for even doubting God or, or felt ashamed for questioning God. I have no doubts that there were those who were in that congregation that as they heard the words of this letter were feeling troubled by the fact that they had been tempted and they fell into temptation and that they sinned before God to try to get out of the persecution that they were going through. I have no doubts that there were people there that stumbled and fell. And yet Paul noted some very specific areas in which he could give thanks. And in doing so, I believe he encouraged these people. And I believe that it will be encouragement to us as well. And in our praise to God and to others, I would suggest that we do this one thing. And that is that we be very specific about how we praise God and how we praise one another. Be specific in our praise. This wasn't a glittering generality. I want you to notice three specifics as we go through here that he praised them and it encouraged them. Number one, look what he says. In verse 3 of chapter 1 of the second letter, he says this, we're giving, God, we're giving thanks to God always, brethren, and you know why? Because your faith is greatly enlarged. We want to thank God and specifically praise you because you have come a long way, baby from when I first saw you and from when you first put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've come a long way. Your faith is greatly enlarged. You are growing. You are making progress. You are doing well. And I'm sure that as they suffered and were persecuted and as they were tempted to fall back, that they needed a shot in the arm that says, hey, you're doing good. And he praised them and he was very specific about it. It's been said that a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. This is a true statement. New believers can expect that their faith will be tested. That faith is a muscle, a spiritual muscle. And the only God's video or workout program in 98 is going to be this for every one of us, that He will continue to allow our faith to be tested because it's only through testing does our faith grow. That's the only way we make progress. That's God's workout, spiritual workout program. And we don't like that because we don't like to sweat. We don't like that because it, 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 it takes something out of us. But that's God's only program for growth. An easy life always leads to a shallow faith. I'll guarantee it. An easy life always leads to a shallow faith. It's only as our faith is tested and as we endure through that testing do we find out, you know what, we are really growing in our faith. They come a long way. And Paul wanted to recognize their progress. Listen to me. All of us still have a long way to go. If God's goal for us is to conform us into the image and likeness of His Son, His perfection, Jesus Christ, I see it this way. 
He who began a good work in us when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ will perfect it and continue to perfect it until the day that Jesus comes again or until he calls us home. But I also look at it this way. We are never going to be perfect while we're here living in these corruptible bodies and have corruptible minds. We are always going to struggle and always have need for growth. We haven't arrived. The Apostle Paul said it best when he said this, you know what, I haven't even arrived. I haven't even got there, man. He goes, but forgetting what lies behind, I press on to the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm moving forward. I'm not who I used to be, and I'm not even who I'm going to be. But thank God, God's still working on me, and he's moving me in the right direction. See, now the problem with perfectionists is that we will not concentrate on what has taken place. We will always focus on what there is yet to do. And as a result, we will not be people of praise because we still find that there's stuff left to do. So instead of encouraging what we see as progress, we continue to dwell on that which hasn't occurred yet. Now I want to ask you a question. If you want to encourage... Let me make this statement first. There is nothing more discouraging to a person trying hard to move forward than not be acknowledged or praised for the effort and the progress that they've already made. Do you want your husband to be everything that he can be in the Lord and your family? Then recognize the progress that he's made instead of the things he hasn't accomplished yet. If you want your wife to move forward in her role as a wife, then acknowledge what she's already done and how far she's already gone instead of looking at and concentrating on that which still has yet to be done. You want to move your children from childhood to adulthood. Praise them for the progress that they've made. And don't always be dwelling on what's left to do. If you want to help a person who's in a diet, you don't discourage them by saying, man, you still got 150 LBs left to go. You say, hey, you know what? You did good. You lost five pounds already. Hey, and give them the strokes that they need to continue moving forward in the direction that they want to go. You know, there's nothing more discouraging than to make a person realize that they haven't got there yet or aren't getting there as fast as you think they should. Thank God that as we read the Word of God, the Apostle Paul praises these people and encourages them by saying, Hey, you've come a long way. And if you don't think this is difficult teaching, let me ask you a question. We had dinner with friends last night, and they said what they tried to do at Thanksgiving was they got everybody around the table, and they thought, well, you know, it's Thanksgiving. We should be thankful for something. That's a concept. <laughs> and so what they wanted to do was they said, okay, look, everybody here, I want you to say two good things about the person sitting to your left. Fear was struck in the hearts of the participants. How many things? Two. You smell nice. You know, you, you see how we struggle with this? I mean, stop, stop and think. If I ask you right now, look, the person immediately to your left, say one thing of praise about them. Thanks for breath mints. Good. I mean, th th you know, think about how bad we are at this. We are not good at this game. But this is serious. 
We need to be people of praise. We need to be people who focus on the blessings that God has already given us instead of looking for that which we still think He owes us. We need to become people who praise the person next to us or the people in our own homes because of the progress that they've made instead of concentrating on that which we hope they will accomplish someday in their life. If you want a student to get better grades, praise the effort that they're making in their study habits. Don't concentrate, as so often happens. Hey, three A's, two B's, but what's this C all about? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Don't we realize how discouraging that is? I love the true story of a woman who was a third grade teacher. And she was having a problem with her kids getting up and running all over the class. And they were out of control. And she would scream. And she would threaten. And she'd do everything she could imagine to try to get these kids back in their seats so there'd be some, some order to what was going on. And you know what happened? She couldn't get them to do it. But then she thought she'd try something different. And there was a little girl every day while everybody else was running around. She sat there and she studied and she read. And you know what this teacher was wise enough to do? She went down to this little girl and she just said very quietly, Hey, you know what? I just want to thank you for studying and doing what you're supposed to do. And I really appreciate that about you. Thank you. And just walked away. All of a sudden, these guys were running around going like this. What? And then she went over to another guy who was doing the same thing. Thank you. Appreciate that. Just went back up to her desk. And all of a sudden, she noticed they, all, they started sitting down. They start sitting down throughout the whole room. So every time somebody would sit down, she'd just go over and say, thanks, appreciate that. Thank you. Doing a good job. Thanks. Another person would sit down, another person would sit down, and all of a sudden, everybody in the class is sitting down. Why? Because she praised the ones who were doing right. Wow. She concentrated on that which was being done right. What is Paul doing? He's saying, I just want to praise you for your growth. You've come a long way. And he could have said, like every perfectionist I know, but, but they still have a long way to go. Don't forget to tell them that. Why tell them that? They already know that. You don't tell somebody who's trying to lose weight that they have a lot more to lose. They know it better than you. They live with it. I don't need to tell somebody that, that, hey, I don't need to tell somebody you got a long way to go on your spiritual walk. They already know they got a long way to go. What they need me to tell them is, hey, you know what? I don't know if anyone's told you this, but man, since the first time we met till now, you have come a long way. You just keep up the good work and you keep your eyes focused on the Lord and you keep doing what God's called you to do. And it's amazing the difference in your life between now and when we first met. Wow. Wouldn't that be nice? It would be great to live in a world where we appreciate one another instead of always telling each other how we fall short. We all fall short. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none of us perfect. And if you think you're better than another person, it's only because you don't recognize that you're guilty of the sin of pride. And you fall short too. Let's be people who praise each other specifically for the things that we see God doing in one another's life. What else did he praise them for? Second Thessalonians chapter 1 again. It says he praised them for their love. He says, you know what? And your love of each other toward one another, it even grows even greater. Isn't that awesome? 
You know what can happen when we go through difficult times? We can become very selfish, selfish and self-absorbed people. And they were going through this difficult time, but you know what he, he commended them for? You know what's amazing? Even in all the tribulation and persecution you're going through, you still reach out and love other people. That's awesome. Good job. Keep it up. And it's become such a, a, a wonderful thing that he says, in the, and he says that, you know what? Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and your afflictions which you endure. Isn't that awesome? They say, man, you know what? You're going through all of this stuff and you can become selfish and self-absorbed and woe is me and you're not doing that like you used to do. But you're reaching out and saying, hey, you know what? My suffering is, is minimal compared to what Joe's going through or, or Harriet's going through or Sally's going through. And man, they're really going through a tough time. And we need to get together and we need to try to help them somehow. You know, that's the thing I love about small groups. Because when people get together in small groups, they walk into the room feeling like, oh man, I've got the toughest life in the world until you hear what somebody else is going through and you go like this, man, I'm glad I came. <laughs> I feel so much better about myself. Did you hear what they're going through? Man, but you know what? It's just not a matter of just, I feel better now, but it becomes even more important than that. It's, I'm going to reach out and I need to help them. We need to reach out and we need to touch them. We need to somehow or another allow them to feel the comfort and the encouragement of being around people who love them and care for them despite or in spite of all the crummy things that they're going through in life. They need to be encouraged. Wow. That's great stuff. To praise them for their growth spiritually. They've come a long way. To praise them for their love for one another. And, and in doing so, they became an encouragement to other churches who weren't even going through difficult times of persecution and distress. And the ones who were became encouragement to the ones who weren't even feeling any of that. He says, man, I go around bragging about you. I'm bragging about you. I don't know about you, but there's nothing that makes a person feel better than to know that there are people in their life that go around bragging about them. Isn't that awesome? Give me an example. We have some, people, some guys that work for us, and my partner ran into one of the guys who worked for us, his, uh, his parents. And his parents went to him and said, look, I just want to tell you that our son loves working for you guys because he has nothing but good things to say about how you treat them, how you treat them with respect and dignity, how you're always there to meet their needs. They, they, he loves working there. I'll tell you what, that lifts you up. That there's people running around bragging about you. And you don't even know it because you're just doing who you are and being what you're supposed to be. And it's no different than a child whose parents go around bragging about them. Hey, you know, let me tell you about my kids. Hey, you want to see some pictures? You know, there's something about that that makes us feel like, hey, I can fight the good fight. I can keep on going. Praise me and I'll jump through hoops. Tell me I'm making progress as a husband and I'm going to keep on trying. Tell me I'm making progress as a dad and man, you ain't seen nothing yet. Tell me I'm making progress as a student or as an athlete. And I, you know what? I'm going to be out there and I'm going to even give it more. Tell me I'm making progress in my diet or in my exercise plan. And man, you know what? You haven't seen anything yet. Just tell me that this is all worth the effort. Tell me that it's all worth all the sweat and aggravation and all the, all the difficulties that are, uh, that are associated with it. Just tell me that what I'm doing is paying off and I'm going to keep doing it. It's easy, but it's so hard because we're not used to it. And we don't do it enough. When was the last time you praised someone around you for the progress that they made? I'll guarantee this. If you did it, 
you'll see them still hard at work in that area of their life. Don't dwell on the negative, but dwell on the positive. Well, let's see. Now, if I said likewise, <laughs> there isn't a person here to believe that. All right, let's close on this last one. The word perseverance in verse 4 means patience. Uh-oh. Let's see. Their faith was growing. Their love was abounding. And their patience was increasing. God can grow a mushroom overnight. But it takes many, many years to grow an oak tree. Perseverance through tribulation produces oak trees. Now this is worth the price of admission. But ask yourself the question, Am I a mushroom or am I an oak tree? Patience is a telltale sign that we are growing in our faith. Patience. How patient are you with people around you who you feel are lacking in certain areas of their life? How patient are you with non-Christians that God puts in our midst? How patient are you? How patient are you with your husband or with your wife or with your children or with friends, employees, employers, co-workers? How patient are you? I will guarantee you this that if you are not patient, you are not growing spiritually. Because we know this, that the testing of our faith produces endurance, and endurance has its perfect result, that we will be mature, that we will be patient with those around us. I can't think of a better place to stop, even though I'd like to keep going, because you did get out early last week. But let's just stop with this one thing. Because if we apply this one thing, our lives and the people around us, their lives will be changed forever in a good way. And that is this. Let's become people who praise others for the progress that we see instead of destroying them for that which we see has not yet been accomplished. Can we do that? Let's become people who are very specific in our praise for others. Let's apply that as you leave here today to your wife, to your husband, to your children, to your friends, to your co-workers, to people around you. Let's be people who become people who praise God in the, in the midst of every circumstance and praise one another and be specific about it. And I'll guarantee you this, you're going to see stuff happening that you've been praying about that you've been nagging about for years and that you've never praised about and it's going to be amazing to you like that teacher who got kids to sit down simply by praising those who are making progress versus concentrating on those who have not.
Let's become people of praise, and God will change our lives. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that we get, knowing that, you know what? God, you've begun got a great work in us, and you'll continue to perfect it until the day that Jesus returns or until you call us home. God, we're just grateful for where you've brought us from and the direction that you're pointing us in and the direction that you're taking us. May we become men and women who concentrate on what you've already done and praise you for it and praise others for it rather than dwelling on that which has yet to be done. Because, God, we have a long way to go before we'll ever be conformed into the image and the likeness of your Son, our perfection, Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.